The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. Three on the play clock, you gotta snap it. Two, one, chest high snap, hand up, Tofili up the middle, across the 40s, close, and a late flag is thrown as well. What's the flag? He's short of the line to gain by about a yard and a half, but it's a face mask. It's over. It's a face mask, and that will do it. The Knolls escape an ugly one up in Chestnut Hill, but they do remain unbeaten at 3-0. and oh, It is a very good evening to you and how you be with William Haynes here and you there at 7.04 on the other side of the dial at 89.7 WVFS Tallahassee. You are currently listening to Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the Voice of Florida State. We'll be taking you all the way up until 8 o'clock where we will have new release continuing uh, this Monday night's programming. Glad to have you along with us. We've got a great show tonight or recapping actually the uh, Seminoles game against Boston College where they escape with a win. We will preview the Noles game this weekend against the Clemson Tigers in the latest installment of that rivalry in which Clemson has won the last seven in a row. And you won't want to miss just past the 7.30 mark where we will have Justin Robertson, who is with the Clemson student paper, where he will help us preview everything with that game. I want to remind you as well, you can be a part of the program at 850-644-1837. And make sure to follow us Twitter and Instagram at V89Sports. So without further ado, I am William Haynes, and we are joined every week, as always, by Jackson Bakich. How are you doing, man? I'll tell you what, uh, kind of re- recovering from maybe a cardiac arrest <laughs> on Saturday. No, but it was it was a great weekend. Um, we had a great time. Had a little get together within the, the the sports section here at the radio station, as well as uh, with the FS View. So it was kind of a nice to to have a little crossover episode there. But I'm, I'm doing great. How are you doing, William? I'm doing fantastic. Never been better. Always love doing the show and talking about a national conti- uh, national title contending. Florida State team, I know we kind of talked about it uh, before the game and, and kind of going into it as well. It was reminiscent of that BC game of that 2013 title team where the Eagles were up 17-3 to early in the first half of that one, and it had a similar feel of that one throughout. So maybe a sign of good things to come. And also uh, the last time Florida State beat Clemson, they went to the college football playoff. So uh, if they can beat uh, the Tigers on Saturday, that could be a sign of more good things to come. But rounding out our panel uh, tonight for the program, Jack Arducer making his semester debut. Always great to see your face in the studio. And uh, one of uh, several people here in tonight that uh, not only diehard Rays fans, but a Rays employee, which is pretty cool, doing uh, some of the, the replay operation at Tropicana Field. And uh, the Rays announcing that they'll be staying in St. Pete for quite a while longer, which to many is great news. But Jack, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. And it's really exciting to be a part of Florida State, more importantly, right now. A lot of stuff great going outside of campus, on campus right now. Tallahassee is thriving, football is really great, and then regarding Tampa Bay, uh, there's a lot going on in St. Pete with that new stadium idea that they're throwing out there, and it's official after many years and controversies about Montreal, Tampa, Nashville. It's good to hear that there's a conclusion, especially being within that organization recently. To uh, to quote your guy, you're wearing a Steelers Antonio Brown jersey, business is booming. Business is booming. Hey, he was here recently, so I had to remind everybody that Antonio Brown's a little relevant. Were, were you the one that caught his pants when he threw them into the crowd? I, I don't know what bar that was hey, at. Hey, I have his cell phone, too. His cell phone <laughs> was in the pants, too. Well, Jack, it, it did kind of sound like you're, you're running for, for re-election for mayor. Tallahassee is thriving. You know, it was, it's, it's always funny to hear. But I guess it's because I'm leaving. 
I guess so. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, and the, and the voice that you hear trickling in there, making his return to these hallowed studios, a once host of this very program, Brett Rutherford, making his return. Hey. He is now also, uh, starting next month, the new assistant athletic director at Wake Tech Community College, so making his way through the ranks in the sports world, as many people that have come through these halls have done. So great to see you once again, and thanks for being a part of this. Yeah, no, thank you for, for having me back on the show. I'm, I'm leaving Tallahassee in a couple of weeks, so had to stop by V89. You know, this is a radio station and a department that, that really helped me you know, get my start in, in the sports world. I met Luke Fay, who helped me get started at TCC, and we've started that V89 to TCC pipeline uh, through the TCC live stream. And I, I think all three of you here on the show have, have had some, and, and Amanda here as well, everyone like in V89 has helped at TCC in some capacity. So I'm thankful uh, to you guys for that and uh, really happy to, to be here uh, before I depart for uh, Raleigh, North Carolina in a couple of weeks. Whenever we have people back, they always kind of, uh, the first thing their mind goes to, like everything looks the same, nothing has ever changed uh, with how much time you spend here. What, what kind of runs through your mind when you come back through this place? Um, there, a lot of the, the posters uh, and stickers are still on the wall. There's a few new additions. Um, the, the, the sports office still has its, uh, a very distinct smell. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's a bad smell, uh, but it is distinct and... I was actually in here a couple weeks ago, but walking back in today before the show, uh, yeah, it kind of brought me back to to my time as as a Florida State student, and uh, I miss it very much. But you guys have been have been doing a great job, and I, and I'll still listening to the show every Monday. So Brett Rutherford, great to have you in, and as always, peeking in from behind the glass, producer of our show, Jack Oliaro. He will have seminal segment at around seven thirty before we go into our phone call uh, with Justin Robertson of the Clemson paper. So. Let's just dive into this right now. What took place a couple of days ago up in the Northeast, a noon game. It looked like maybe we were headed for some hurricane conditions type games, high winds and rain. That didn't necessarily end up taking place, but the weirdness of that game was still in full force when you have a noon game and kind of a dead crowd like they do have in Chestnut Hill oftentimes. And the Knolls 31-29 getting the win over BC. They were up 31-10 to at one point and then uh, really just a comedy of errors from the Seminoles to keep the Eagles in the game at the end. Kind of a last gasp attempt there in the fourth quarter. The call that you heard at the top of the show, courtesy of Jeff Colhane and Seminole Sports Properties, that, that stop that the BC defense made to potentially get the ball back, but their 18th and final penalty of the ball game, that was a face mask that allowed the Knolls to just kneel it out. So diving into this game we all had when we previewed it was going to be an easy runaway game bc struggled not only with northern illinois who they lost to but fcs holy cross so this looked like an easy rollover victory for the Knowles with the way they had looked their first two games it was anything but they kind of got slapped around a little bit in the first quarter bc held the ball for 10 minutes in that opening frame and ended the quarter with a 10 to 3 lead and it was Really not even before the end of the first quarter that we knew, okay, this is not going to be the game that we thought it was. Yeah, absolutely. It it seems like BC beat Florida State their own game. You take a look, and it's obviously easier said than done, but that is how you keep it close with Florida State. You have to beat them at their own game. We've seen Norvell control time of possession and force opposing teams to take advantage of every single early possession that's given to them. While FSU was you know relatively efficient, um, I'd say in, in their scoring opportunities, they weren't efficient on third down. We'll talk about that later. But it felt like they were hardly on the field in the first half. 
Yeah, I, it was an interesting game, and I listened to what you guys had to say last week, and, and of course, going into it, it seemed like this would be an easy victory for Florida State. Uh, got news for you guys. This, this is going to be a tough season. This isn't going to be the only scare, and Florida State right now doesn't have the type of roster that can physically dominate everyone on their schedule. Now, you hope, and I think at points, they did physically dominate Boston College, I don't think Florida State has that dominant of a roster yet to where you can go into every road game, every road conference game, and expect to win handily. The good news for Florida State is I don't know if anyone in the country has a team like that that is going to just steamroll through their schedule. You saw Alabama struggle on the road at USF. You saw Texas struggle, who jumped FSU in the rankings. Uh, They struggled at home with Wyoming. Georgia struggled with South Carolina. I don't know if there is a team in the country that you can confidently say is going to go in and and beat a team by three scores, especially on the road. That's the good news for Florida State. Uh, But ultimately, they did enough to get out of there with a victory. There was a lot of other factors. The weather, I heard the flu was going around the roster this week. Um, You had Jordan Travis potentially banged up, although he's he's probably always banged up. Uh, Ultimately, I think you can be disappointed with Florida State's performance and hope they improve, but they got out of there with their first conference win, so I'm happy with that. And there's plenty to look at, like you're talking about the roster in the future, you're talking about the other schools that can outplay them in the playoff and stuff like that, the flu, some other stuff. But what really needs to change right now is that mentality. Going into the game, they let that score happen way too fast. They looked flat-footed at the beginning. And that can't happen if you're going to be a number three team in the country. You're talking about there's a lot of factors, too. Of They didn't look like a number three team in the country. They can't be flat-footed, and they can't get comfortable. They had this steamroll, and right when they got out of the second half, Norvell and the other coaches probably instilled that in the players, and that was super nice. And they got off to those touchdowns, bang, bang, bang. But then everyone got comfortable at the end. And this team cannot get comfortable if they want to go all the way and prove that to everybody. Now, this is this is an excuse because I do think I agree with you that there were that that was happening throughout this game. That's I like to assume that that's not going to happen at Clemson next week. I agree that this was a little bit of a look ahead spot. You're at Boston College, and, and another factor it was the Red Bandana game. Florida State fans know all too well, and ACC fans know all too well that that is a really tough week to play Boston College. Going into Clemson, yes, if, if this happens again at Clemson, I think we can all be very concerned. But it didn't happen when they played LSU. So we know when the lights are brightest or when the sun's brightest at noon when they play Clemson next weekend um, that the, the Florida State will show up. Now, that's not an excuse because, like you said, if they do that again you know, against – well, Duke's a good team. But any other team in the ACC, they could get popped, and that could, that could ruin their, their chance at a playoff run. So I agree with you. I just don't think that's the expectation moving forward. Hopefully this was enough of a warning for not only the players but the coaching staff that they need to get the team ready. And as for the gaffes that Florida State had at the very beginning of the game and then, of course, at the very end, they did have that portion of the ball game, which is a pretty large chunk of it, where they look like those same dominant knolls that we've come to know and expect, 17-10 to 10 at halftime. And just in the first couple of minutes of the third quarter, opened the lead all the way out to 31-10. They had a deep ball to Johnny Wilson on the second play from scrimmage in the second half. And maybe uh, Jay Traff playing a little banged up, making a nice throw. And then DJ Lundy, look what I found, the interception going right to him on the ground. And they cash it in for a quick six. So just uh, that's what the Knowles can do. They can put it on you like that when things get rolling their way. But then it was, of course, that was it going to be an onside kick? Norvell takes a timeout. And Boston College decides to kind of squib it deep. And 
as routine of a play as it looks, for a football player, that's one of the scariest things is when that ball is taking its wobbly kind of turn towards you when you've got a bunch of uh, players coming right at you, and he just simply muffed it. He just bobbled it, and Boston College basically lucky to recover it. And even though the Knolls got a stop there, there was a Lawrence Toafili fumble where just, I guess, a nice play by the BC defender to get the head on the football and jar it loose, and they, they get some points off of that. And it went all the way down to the wire, like we said. And, and this is where I want to go now because, yes, Boston College was bad going into this game, but for large stretches, they were bad in this game. That face mask penalty at the end, their 18th penalty in the ball game for 131 yards, the 18 penalty is a school record. They came within a couple of points of the number three team in the country. How the heck does that happen? I, I think I think the, the game plan on, on how to go after Florida State's defense is definitely out there. Spread, spread the field out, run the ball. It, it, it obviously works great when you've got a dual-threat quarterback uh, like Castellanos. Castellanos is, is, is a great athlete. He's, a, he's an above-average college football quarterback. He's an above-average ACC quarterback. And Florida State's going to come up against some other pretty decent quarterbacks, including Cade Klubnick, including Riley Leonard at Duke. and so Tyler Van Dyke as well. Tyler Van Dyke as well. Um, so the, 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 the book is, I won't say the book is out on Florida State because I think there's, there's enough athletes, especially in that linebacker core, to, to improve on that. Um, but, but ultimately, yeah, they, they just didn't really push the offensive line that much. I think that was probably one of my, my bigger concerns. I thought the DBs, for the most part, uh, played well. I, I, I think we can all recognize that this DB group for Florida State um, – they're more experienced than they are talented, and that's a very good asset to have in college football. Um, they don't have the talent that some of these other DB rooms around the country do. Um, so I think they they played okay, and ultimately, like it, it was those 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 big mistakes, the fumbles, the muffed you know kick. That is kind of what let Boston College back into the game. It is concerning though, eighteen penalties for Boston College, and they lost by two points. Like, what happens if they? cut out a couple of those penalties are we sitting here having a very different conversation tonight i don't know but i i'm trying not to overreact i think it's very fair to react right and say florida state cannot play like this especially not next week but they really can't have a game like this this season if they want to go 12 and 0 and, and you you bring up the dbs i think if you just look at the box score and you see all the passing yards from castellanos they you know he threw for 305 yards when you take a look at that game you see a lot of those big chunk plays, especially on those third downs. Like I said, we'll, we'll talk about it. But on those plays, the DBs, it's not like they were getting beat in one-on-one coverage. It's not like they were getting beat uh, at the break. It's not like they were getting beat when, you know, Castellanos was going through his normal progression. They were getting beat when the play was being extended. Yeah. They were being beat when it's almost impossible to cover anybody when the play is being extended for that long. I think um, – Really, when you, when you look at some statistics, names that weren't being called. Jared Verse, mm-hmm. his name wasn't really called all day. Patrick Payton, his name wasn't really called all day. Joshua Farmer, Braden Fisk, his name wasn't called yeah. all day. The only people that recorded sacks were Kalen Deloche, Fentrell Cypress, and DJ Lundy, and, and two of them had half sacks. When you have a mobile quarterback, you need to be hearing those names that I mentioned in the former if, if you're, if you're going to have you know, a, a successful night. They had that successful night against Jaden Daniels. Yeah, granted, he did have a couple runs, but he's a great athlete. He's, he was a Heisman contender. He might still be. We'll see. But they weren't able to, to keep contain whatsoever. And, you know, you might be able to blame the, the flu bug. You might be able to blame this. You might be able to blame that. But 
Florida State stars on the defensive line were not called. Their name was not called all night, all are, day. Are any of you more worried, not worried, but after watching Saturday's game, more concerned about the offense and their ability to, to really put teams away? Because um, the defense, I think we know, we kind of know what we're going to get with Florida State defense. With the offense, we have much higher expectations because we believe that they're a top five, maybe top three offense in the country, or they should be. Group for group, I think they can match up with anybody on the offense, in, with their offense. The run game wasn't great, and I don't know if I put that on the running backs as much as I do the offensive line. They, they kind of struggled with Boston College defensive line when we ran the ball, and I, I just, Keon Coleman didn't get any catches. Um, he had drops, though. It's not like he wasn't targeted. Yeah, he had drops. He had drops. Um, you, you obviously still have Johnny Wilson. Jaheim Bell had a great game. Um but I, I want to see a little more accuracy out of Jordan Travis. I know he's not like the best passer. That's not what makes him a Heisman contender. It's what he can do on those big chunk plays, uh, but also running the ball. I'd like to see him maybe look at his checkdowns a little bit more often. Uh, take you know those those seven to twelve yard plays when he can get them. He, he seemed to be going for the deep ball a lot more than he probably should have. Um, overall, like I said, I'm not too concerned about Florida State moving forward. But I think I'm. A little more upset with the offense than the defense. That might be strange to say. Well, my response to that is we saw them go for the kill against LSU. We saw them smell blood right. and take advantage of it. I think the rebuttal to that is they barely had the ball. I mean, they had yeah, the ball no, eight right. or nine min- right. eight or nine minutes less than BC. So even when they were playing LSU, I mean, they, they punted a few times. I mean, it's just, you know, it's part of the game. You're not going to score on every drive. And when you have two or three less drives in the ball game and you don't score on every one, it makes your offense look a lot worse just points-wise. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I don't, I don't have a worry about the offense in the world. You're, you said it yourself, a top five, top three offense. The defense, though, how do you how, – how, when, when that one of those kickoffs came and then it, they kept getting penalties and it was half the distance to the goal line, they kept getting pushed back to the nine and then the five. And then this guy, this quarterback, who is very talented – he got a 45-yard rush right up the middle. No one even contested it at all. And he probably could have kept running and he ran out of bounds. That defense has to wake up if you're going to play a better offense in Clemson. This Clemson offense doesn't look that bad. Their defense is kind of similar to ours. They've kind of showed their faults on both ends. I feel like you have to look a little bit towards the defense. You know this offense will show up regardless of the Death Valley conditions. And and ultimately, the, the question that we've been throwing back the last couple of minutes Florida State has reached the 30-point threshold offensively in each of their nine games during this winning streak, dating back to last year. The defense from Saturday is really what was concerning. The Knowles gave up 30 points or more on defense five times last year and 29 points to a BC offense like this. That missed an extra point. And Knowles couldn't get off the field. BC 8 for 19 on third downs, 4 for 5 on fourth down. And this is really where all the beat writers were kind of losing their minds with this game was it was BC on third and 12, third and 15, third and 20, and somehow, some way, they are finding a gap in this defense to make a play and get there. And I think it was you, Jackson, that said it. BC didn't play very well within the structure of their offense, but when Castellanos could – those play-action rollouts were killer, and a lot of those big passing plays were just coverage butts. There was no one within 10 yards of him. It was either mm. Adam Fuller sent the house and Castellanos could buy enough time to find somebody, or it was zone coverage where there were massive pockets and guys weren't playing in the right spots, and Castellanos finds the open men. To drive that way on that defense is concerning to me. And, and I do think if you want to talk about the effort or the energy thing, yeah, 
Florida State, for most of the game, got beat up on both lines by Boston College. Not to make the flu the story, because I I don't know how many players were sick. I don't know the the extent of it. I know uh, the tally flu, you know, goes around September and October. It happens at every school in this city. Um, But would that maybe explain the third and fourth down, those long drives where, you know, maybe if you were, you know, sick Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you can get out and you can play first down really hard, but... You're on the field, it's third or fourth down, it's a long extended drive. You might just be out of gas at that point. And what it looked like to me, and this is from Boston College, their very first drive to begin the game, that's exactly the kind of plays that you would call if you knew the defense you were playing was tired or worn out or whatever you want to use and not that they knew. But it was BC was getting the ball to the sideline on almost every play, making Florida State's all 11 go from sideline to sideline on every snap, and they were. They were out of breath, hands on their hips, and as Jack, you said, on their heels is really the best way to look at it. And that is not what you want with the rest of the schedule that you have to feel that way about your defense. I think we will talk to our guest from Clemson about this, but I think Clemson, as they have the last couple of years against Norvell and Fuller and this staff, they found ways to find open spots. I expect that to continue. And about the offensive line, it hasn't gotten better. I am completely out of the love affair now with where these coaches were in the preseason, which was to say, oh, we can go eight deep against anybody. We've got enough backups that if someone gets hurt, it's fine. Darius Washington at center really concerns me. His shotgun snaps two weeks in a row now, a little bit iffy. Demetri Emanuel getting replaced by Keandre Jones again. Robert Scott, we don't know about his availability for next week. They keep putting, mixing and matching these five together, and you go into a road spot in Clemson next week, and communication is a big factor. That concerns me, and, you know, again, Boston College that was giving up points to Northern Illinois and Holy Cross. Trey Benson, 12 carries for 38 yards. As a team, you run for less than four yards a carry. That's really the Norvell identity, and against a team you really should have been able to do it against, you weren't able to. Yeah, I, I just think they had a bad game. I, I, I still think both units, both the offense and the defensive line, are, are some of the best in the country. I think the offense just let off the gas in the second half, especially when they were up 31-10. to 10. I mean, they, like I said, they only punted four times all game. So I'm not too worried about it. We've seen what they can do, especially against LSU and Southern Miss. However, they need to stay healthy, uh, especially if they want to have any shot against Clemson. And, and, and especially when you mentioned that communication is key not to throw out that cliche, it's going to be very loud in Death Valley. You know, th- this, is a, this is a program, and, and Mr. Robertson will, will probably tell us all about it, but this is a program that there's just a lot of pride there. There is a lot of sort of back-against-the-wall feeling. There's a lot of uh, reason to, to prove everyone wrong. So I, I expect that Clemson fan base, not only for it to be incredibly full, but incredibly rowdy. And I'm still at the point where I, I think when we get at the end of this regular season that it's, it's going to be Florida State and Clemson in the AC championship game. I, I know UNC and Miami and, and Duke are in there as well, but this Clemson team is still really cl- talented, and I know we keep saying that, and we talked a little bit before the show. Are they in a similar spot that Florida State was in in 2016, 2017? I don't know, um, but I do know that uh, this is probably the hardest game left on Florida State's regular season schedule, and that is, uh, I think, cause for concern. So, But maybe the Boston College game happened in the right spot. Um, 
Boston College in the 2013 season, and I'm not comparing the 2023 Knowles to the 2013 Knowles, that was like the toughest game on their schedule. Like Boston College scored like 34 points on that game um, in Chestnut Hill. So maybe this was the wake-up call that the 23 Florida State team needs. We'll see. Last question I have about the BC game. What in the world is going on with these uniforms, man? The white helmets on the road, the garnet jerseys, the white pants. It was the first time that they have used that uniform combo, and I think Norvell is going to find however many mathematical combinations you can make. He's going to find a way to mix and match them all. It's unconventional. How do we feel about it? I don't think they're the worst uniform combinations. I personally liked them on the road. I prefer the all-white for the road, but I think there's obvi- I think there was a bunch of different ways you could have made it worse. Me personally, I think the garnet pants and the black jersey and the gold helmet is the worst combination. Yeah, I, I despise that. I just think it it looks like a, like a middle schooler trying to match his his uh, what call like his highlighter socks with bright blue shorts. You know, I, I that's just my opinion, but definitely not the worst combo I've seen. I don't think they were that bad. I'm sure we'll see them more. And they debuted them last year. The white helmet specifically even wore them at home, which shocked me, but. This is where we are in college football. Welcome to 2023. I know you hear that a lot. But we are here now at the midpoint of Tomahawk Talk. We are now going off to our producer, Jack Oliaro, with Seminole Segment. Jack, take it away. Thank you, William. I'm Jack Oliaro, producer of Tomahawk Talk, and it's time for Seminole Segment, relaying the latest and greatest in all of Florida State's athletics midway through the show to catch you up to speed on what you may have missed. We'll start out in Clemson, South Carolina, where the fourth-ranked Florida State soccer team awaited their opening conference match in a top-10 Friday evening showdown with the eighth-ranked Clemson Tigers. The hosts are off to one of their best starts in program history, as they remain unbeaten after eight games and look to make a statement against the Seminole powerhouse. And the Tigers could not have gotten off to a better start, as a slick through ball to Caroline Conti allowed her to bury her shot into the net for the game's first goal before a deflected ball left Tigers' leading scorer, McKenna Morris with a clear opening, which she rifled into the bottom left corner for a huge 2-0 lead inside 20 minutes. FSU needed a response and fast, and a lack of a solid clearance in the Clemson defense left freshman Jordan Dudley to tap one back for the Knowles, and just before the stroke at halftime, Taylor Huff laid in a beautiful side-footed through ball to Maria Alagoa, which she slotted past the Clemson keeper for her first goal of the season to draw the game at two apiece. The Seminoles didn't waste their momentum as they kept the attack humming after the half, and a mistake in the Clemson defense allowed Beata Olsen to take an easy 1v1 with Hallie Mikakowicz, which the Swede made no mistake of to take the lead on the road. The Seminoles' leading goal scorer Oni Echigini finished off the game with her fifth goal of the season and fourth goal on the night to finish off Clemson. The Seminoles remain unbeaten at six wins out of six, earned their second top 10 road victory of the season, and begin ACC play with a win. The team will stay on the road with two more conference matches this week, starting with a trip to Syracuse, New York, to battle the Orange on Thursday night, 7 p.m., streaming on ACC Network Extra. And then they will face the second-ranked North Carolina Tar Heels in Chapel Hill. These two foes faced off the la- three times this last season, UNC winning the first match in the regular season, before the Knolls took them down in the ACC title game, before the College Cup semifinals saw the Tar Heels get the better of the Knolls. The two have been the standard of women's collegiate soccer, and their rival will be renewed on Sunday at noon on ESPNU. 
From the pitch to the court, we find the Florida State volleyball team, who nearly pulled off a huge upset over third-ranked rivals in the Florida Gators. They traded back and forth over the first four sets before the fifth and final set where the Gators won on a tiebreaker, 16-14. The Knolls were unable to carry that stellar performance to Fort Worth, where they fell to TCU in four sets and were swept by the Rainbow Wahani of Hawaii. The group will get a chance to return to winning ways with a home matchup against North Florida tomorrow at 5 p.m., then they'll hit the road for the first games of conference play with Virginia Tech on Friday at 6 p.m., followed by Wake Forest on Sunday at 1 p.m. All of these games this week streaming on ACC Network Extra. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. William, you are clear for liftoff. Appreciate you, Jack. And, yeah, that was a killer if you saw the volleyball match on Tuesday. The Knowles, who currently are under 500. Uh, they almost knocked off the number three team in the country, and UF taking them to five sets in the very end of that fifth set. And it was brutal, but a great uh, match if you were there to see it at Tolley Gym. Uh, what we want to do now, now that we've talked about the Boston College game, let's preview this week's Clemson game. It's at noon on ABC in Death Valley up in South Carolina. Clemson 2-1. and one. They lost to Duke. Florida State obviously still 3-0, and oh, and this is a big game for the ACC conference standings. There's no Atlantic or Coastal Divisions anymore, but this is still one of the big ones, even rivalry being aside. So with that being said, we went to the length to procuring a guest that knows a lot about Clemson football. And we do have joining us now here on the program, Justin Robertson, who is the associate editor of the Tiger. How are you doing, my friend? Good. How are you doing? Happy to be on here. Been great, man. And it's 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 good to have you back for some listeners maybe they don't recall we had you on to preview this game a season ago, and I would like to think that maybe we have had some part in this, but it looks like you've got a promotion since we last spoke. <laughs> yeah, I did uh, I did get a promotion. I uh, just kind of climbing up the ranks a little bit and trying to trying to help out uh, other sections along with sports. Well, congratulations, and uh, thank you again for, for joining the program. Where I want to start, because this is a much different feel around this Clemson team than there was going into this ball game last year, where Clemson was you know, number four in the country and all that. Well, Clemson on national TV and a standalone game on a Monday night, they went into Duke and lost and looked ugly. Now, they did get those two easy non-conference games at home that they took care of business, but with your boots on the ground, local perspective, I don't. I wouldn't even say I believe this. I just want to hear your thoughts. Does it feel like the sky is falling a little bit for Dabo Sweeney? Like maybe the wheels are coming off the truck here. I know he's been very vocal about being sort of anti NIL and modern college football, and then, like I said, that ugly Duke loss. How different does this Clemson program feel right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it really has taken a toll over the last few years. I mean, you look at 2021 with DJ Uyunglele. That was kind of a disastrous season. It kind of got back on track a little bit last year, and then you know, starting the season off this year with a a crushing loss to Duke. I was on site there in Durham, and um, the vibes were definitely low. Um, you know, you just you can't turn the ball over twice in the red zone like that, like they did that night. And like you said, like these past two games, they haven't necessarily been the, the most difficult, and uh, the vibes have definitely gotten better over these last two weeks, but. They haven't really faced anybody yet. Um, I think this this game against Florida State is really going to be determining on whether or not you know Clemson is is back, you know, or if uh, this may just be a whole different program than we've seen um, in the 2010s and uh, early 2020s. 
But, I mean, yeah, it's kind of just what you said. The sky, I wouldn't say, is necessarily falling. But I know from a student perspective, there's a, a lot less optimism around the whole program. And uh, students are kind of already expecting to lose against the Seminoles. Justin, I, I promise we're going to get to the actual football game. But, you know, we just want to you know get your insight on the program at large. I don't want to sensationalize too much, but within the Clemson fan base, is there a growing concern that Dabo – you know, already has one foot out the door on a, on his on his way to a school like Alabama. You know, his alma mater or or another national power. I've and you know FSU fans kind of dealt with this with a similar situation. Not saying it is happening, but they dealt with a situation like that uh, with Jimbo Fisher. You know, twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. Just love to know your thoughts. Yeah, I don't see Dabo leaving anytime soon. I mean, even this decade. Um, I know he has a clause in his contract in relation to to leaving Clemson for Alabama. Um, and I think Alabama may only be the other school that he would be even interested in leaving, but I don't think Dabo's going anywhere. Uh, I know there's a kind of a conception out there that he's very anti-NIL, and I don't necessarily think that's true anymore. It may have been true in the past, um, but he, he's adapted. He's done, like, you know, he's done some promos on the video board pregame where, like, you know, he's asked for support for NIL money. So he's not necessarily anti-NIL, but um, I will mention that the transfer portal has definitely been a talking point. Um, I think in modern college football, you got to be able to bring in transfers, uh, guys that are going to contribute immediately as soon as they step onto the field. And he hasn't really done that. He's brought in, you know, some Paul Tyson, some third-string quarterbacks of the world. But, you know, other programs that are taking it to the next level, like Florida State this year when they bring in Keon Coleman, uh, bringing in, you know, going Travis, like all these guys, that's really going to be the difference maker um, in this modern day of college football. So just to circle back to your question, I wouldn't say Dabo's, you know, leaving anytime soon. I don't expect him to leave anytime this decade, but there is definitely more criticism of him now than there has been in years past. Also curious to see, because I know Florida State has gone through some of this as well, how your expectations have changed about Clemson preseason versus now that we're three games into the year? Yeah, I mean, I think preseason there was a lot of optimism, a lot of hope. You know, you bring in a guy like Garrett Riley, and all the fans are thinking the whole offense is going to change, the whole identity of the offense is going to change. But through three games, we haven't necessarily seen that to the level that a lot of fans kind of wanted going into the year. Uh, I think there's definitely been some improvements on the offensive side of the ball. But as a whole, the team is not the team with Trevor Lawrence, with Travis Etienne, with Justin Ross, with Deshaun Watson. Those kind of teams just had a different factor to them that we haven't really seen from this Clemson team or these last few Clemson teams for that matter. And now, but, I mean, I think the, the expectation was heading into the year, national championship, college football playoff appearance at the least. But now they're kind of staring down this game against Florida State, and uh, they've already got one loss from the record, and they can't really afford to lose another one. Talking about the the quarterback under center for the Tigers this year, I know they've had a lot of great ones in years past, and Cape Klubnik kind of expected out of high school to be one of those guys. Number one QB in the class, Gatorade Player of the Year. All this didn't look great as a true freshman, but the circumstances were awful. DJ Uyunglele takes off for Oregon State, and now Klubnik is the guy. And I would say nationally, there's been some skepticism about him, and and perhaps you've seen his stat line through three games. But if you haven't, I'm going to read it to you, and I just want your your first blush reaction. Is it is the stats pumped up, or is it playing right through three games? He's got 700 yards passing, 
eight touchdowns to two picks, and he's completed 66.5% of his passes. Believe it or not, that's basically Jordan Travis's stat line this year. Yeah, I mean, I really think Cade has done pretty well through his first three games. I think a lot of people are, you know, expect him to be Trevor Lawrence, and he's not necessarily that guy. He doesn't really have as much experience under his belt. But I will say that since that Duke loss over these last two weeks, he's looked really sharp. I know this past weekend against FAU, he had a beautiful pass down the seam, 30 yards for a touchdown to, to freshman Tyler Brown. And I think that was his, one of his best passes of his career, if not the best. So I think his stat line overall has looked pretty good. I think he has looked like the quarterback fans want to see. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, these last two games haven't really been a huge test. I think Florida State and the rest of the schedule will really kind of determine what kind of player Kate is. And he's got one of the best running backs in the country beside him. And that's, of course, speaking about Will Shipley. He's already played Florida State twice in his career. Both games, he's gotten at least 20 carries, and he's run for at least 120 yards, 75 combined receiving yards in those two games as well. I assume he's going to be a major part of the game plan again this year. And now in their new scheme, do you expect them to deploy him against the Knolls on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I expect him to have a big game, but at the same time this season, there's kind of been some skepticism, I will say, from fans whether or not they're using Will Shipley appropriately. He hasn't scored yet. He hasn't reached the end zone outside of a receiving touchdown in week, week one. Um, so there's definitely some, some growing pains there. And he had a little altercation with running backs coach C.J. Spiller on the sideline this past week, and Dabo has kind of downplayed it and said it's not a big deal. They, you know, they've worked it out. But Shipley hasn't been as big as part of the game plan as a lot of fans kind of hope for. I know that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Shipley's a monster. I think he's NFL talent. Uh, he actually just signed an NIL deal with Chipotle, so that was kind of a cool thing to see the other day. But I do think Shipley is a multi-versatile guy. He can catch out of the backfield, run up the middle, run side to side, and uh, run some people over. So he's got the tools to put it all together, and I, uh, I think they're going to use him effectively against Florida State. You mentioned how he has been used so far this season. A lot has been made of their new offensive coordinator, Garrett Riley, younger brother of Lincoln, who many people know over at USC. Uh, maybe not playing up to expectations so far, still very early, but what is his offensive strategy? Kind of what, is, if you could sum him up and his scheme in a couple of sentences and, and maybe kind of what they're looking to grow on from what they've done so far. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Garrett Riley has really brought a little bit of a different approach to the offense. I think he is utilizing the personnel better than maybe in the past few years. I think he's trying to spread the ball around. Uh, I think he's putting Cade in situations where he's going to be successful. If you look at the tape, you know, there's pretty much at least one receiver open on most passing plays, and the run game has been pretty effective. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the Duke game – you saw the, the turnovers. That was the biggest thing. Uh, and Charleston Southern, even week two, the turnovers. Uh, they can't really escape the turnover bug. They didn't have a turnover against FAU last week on offense, at least. But overall, I think they've been able to move the ball. And the offensive scheme, the offensive identity has really progressed and developed uh, this year than it has in years past. And I think if they can keep you know playing a key, clean game and, and keep the ball out of harm's way, that – Gary Riley's offense is going to find success, and they're going to put position in player, put players in position 
where they're going to be able to score, get downfield, and just overall be a good offense. And we haven't really seen that um, last year and the year before that. So I think Garrett Riley's addition has really brought a new, a new, uh, a new scheme, a new identity, and new buzz to the team. Want to take a quick look at the other side of the ball and. Most Florida State fans over the years, you ask him about the strength of the Clemson team and the defensive front, specifically the defensive line. I just took took a look at, at least online, what's considered to be their depth chart. And wouldn't you know, they're all grad year seniors, the same guys, I guess, that have been tormenting Florida State for years. Are these the same guys that have been uh, the consistent playmakers? And would you still consider the D-line perhaps the strength of this football team? Yeah, I mean, I really think it's the whole front seven, including the linebackers. Uh, but the D-line is certainly one of, if not the best in the country, just from a pure talent standpoint. And you got Xavier Thomas, he's a six-year guy. Uh, he hasn't really quite developed into maybe his potential because of injuries and whatnot. But he's a guy that can just be a game wrecker if he's on the field. You got uh, T.J. Parker, who's actually a freshman. So they're bringing in other guys uh, at the end um, alongside, you know, Xavier Thomas and Justin Maskell, he's another fifth-year guy, fourth-year guy. That, uh, you know, these, these guys have experience, and they know what it takes. They know what it takes to get to the next level, and they're, they're just trying to put their tape on the field, and they're trying to bring a national championship to Clemson. They really want that. I think that's their ultimate goal. But as I alluded to with T.J. Parker on the end, you got some young guys, too, that are making some plays. Uh, Peter Woods, freshman, I mean, he is just a game-wrecker. He's a monster. He'll be an NFL guy in a few years. Uh, it's certainly a guy to watch out for as uh, Tyler Davis and Ruka Roro kind of take off the field. They'll put Peter Woods in there, and, and he's already made some plays. He's making himself known on the field. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the de- defensive line, definitely talented. Got a lot of experience up there, but also some young, talented freshmen and sophomores behind them. What was the reaction up there in Clemson when this was announced as a noon game on Saturday? and? Obviously, they're going to pack out the 81,500, no doubt. But is there a significant difference in the environment in a noon game versus if it was in a nighttime primetime slot like it probably should have been? Yeah, I mean, just being here for three three years now, um, it's my fourth year as a student. Night games have always been different. There's been a different atmosphere. Even 3.30 games, there's more anticipation, more buildup. And noon games don't really have that same level of excitement. I think it would have been a night game if, if Clemson beat Duke week one and Florida State wins out. That's the top ten matchup right there. I think ultimately it would have been a night game. But I know just talking to friends, students, fans, there are certainly uh, some disappoint. There's certainly some disappointment that it's a noon game. Uh, I think really what played into that is Ohio State Notre Dame being a night game. I think that was a big reason they didn't really want to compete at that primetime slot. But um, I think if Clemson beat Duke week one, I think college game day would be coming to Clemson. I think it would be a night game. And I think that atmosphere of a night game, it's still going to be electric, but I think a night game just brings a whole other level to it. Do, do you think that, that benefits Florida State more, or, or do you think Clemson, you know, still being, you know, obviously at home, obviously they still have the advantage, but do you think Clemson yeah, I mean, I would, would fare better? I don't think it's – necessarily a benefit uh, for Florida State, but I think it, it doesn't really help out Clemson either. Uh, I know just friends would much rather you know be able to go out and tailgate for the whole day and then go to the game rather than you know have to wake up at 7, 8 a.m. and then try to tailgate for a couple hours and then go to the game. So 
I don't think the crowd will be as loud and as rowdy, maybe, but I don't necessarily think that it's a, a huge advantage for Florida State either. All right, man. Well, getting down to it, what's your predictions for this game? If you got a score, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately there's there's too many question marks still with Clemson. Uh, I don't think they're truly battle tested like Florida State is. I know Florida State kind of struggled last week against Boston College, but they also beat LSU week one. So I mean, it's it's the kind of a proven team. Uh, I think Jordan Travis got that experience at quarterback. I think there's just different buzz around Florida State this year. Um, so I think it's going to be a competitive game. I think both sides are going to bring it all, but I actually do think that Florida State's going to come out on top. If I had to give a score prediction, just Still five days out, but I would say Florida State 31, Clemson 27. All right. Sounds good, man. Justin, great to hear from you as always, and uh, best of luck the rest of the way. Yep, you too. Appreciate you guys for having me on again. Absolutely. And there he goes, Justin Robertson, the associate editor of The Tiger. Man, that is so cool that we get to have these guys back a second year in a row and talking about kind of these games and particularly how Florida State has advanced over the last couple of seasons. But back here in the studio, we'll give our picks for Florida State and Clemson. The line has moved. It opened minus one. It's moved Florida State now favored by a couple of points. Uh, noon game on ABC. I'm going to throw it out here. That might be a shoes in uh, Robert Griffin the third game. So if you like his corniness or maybe you don't, just prepare yourself for that. Over under in the game, 55 and a half points. And as everyone likely knows, Clemson has won the last seven meetings in a row. The last time Florida State won was back in 2014 with Sean McGuire at home en route to a college football playoff berth. Last season was a loss at home, 34-28. Deceptive final score. It was 34-14 inside of 10 minutes in the fourth quarter. And Florida State kind of with that backdoor cover to make it close at the end. Now that we've heard from Justin and we've got an idea of what's going on, what is our read on this game right now? I'll tell you what, I think Florida State will play a lot better up front, assuming they get the offensive lineman that they missed before the BC game. But per- me personally, I think if the Clemson game was last week, I think those guys would have played. I think it was more of a precautionary move to make sure they were ready for Clemson. That's just an inference. I don't have any inside information on that. But I think they can go pound for pound with any personnel unit that, that Clemson has. But I will say Will Shipley does scare me, especially at home. I think we'll have a big game, regardless of what the score is going to be. However, I also expect Jordan Travis and Keon Coleman and maybe Johnny Wilson to show up. I'm, I'm not too concerned with Kate Klubnick's ability to beat the Knowles in the air. But if Akeem Dent is not back, that, that lack of concern uh, could waver. Like the LSU game, there are a bunch of factors to consider when, when trying to kind of decipher what's going to happen. I think Florida State will once again have a big night in the air. I don't care that Clemson has the the ninth best passing defense. I think Florida State has too many weapons. Like Jackson said, name one area of of the field and coaching, I should say, on-field coaching, that Clemson is definitively better at than Florida State. Now, again, there are factors in, in Clemson's favor. It's in Death Valley. Florida State is top is number four in the country now with the new AP poll. Very possible that Florida State goes in and loses this game. And I think the, the one-and-a-half point spread or whatever it's at now is, is shows that. 
with that being said, if Florida State goes into this game I, I, fully healthy, you can never say fully healthy in football, but with, with their best players playing, they have every chance to win this game, and it's going to be the toughest game on their schedule. Uh, and I think they'll be up for it. Maybe like you know, maybe they weren't for Boston College. Um, I just I don't see. There are ways for Clemson to win this game. Don't get me wrong. I just don't. I can't sit here and argue for Clemson being better than Florida State at this point in the season. Are we doing score predictions? We'll get to that at the end. I just okay. kind of want to take a an overview of this ball game. Yeah, I think it's going to be a battle. I think it's going to be a battle up until the end. But I think Florida State's going to prevail in the fourth quarter. You know, we didn't see that in Boston College, but we saw that intensity against LSU early on. I think this team is going to turn it on in the fourth quarter. I think it's going to be neck and neck. I think halftime is going to be close. Florida State's going to jump out. I think Club Nick is going to do just fine in this game. I think they're going to incorporate Shipley. You know how college football works. You know how this rivalry works. He's performed in the past. I think he's going to have to perform in this one too. But I think Florida State will prevail, especially in the fourth quarter. I think no matter what side you come down on, obviously you would lean towards a close game, absolutely. And what I've been saying for a couple weeks, and and I felt this way preseason as well, is name me Mike Norvell's signature road win. And if he wins this one to go to 4-0, this would be it. And obviously he's got to get it at some point. We haven't seen it yet. And like I said, 81,500, this isn't a neutral site where half the stadium is maybe your way. They even had guys doing the war chant up in Boston College last week. It's not going to be like that. They're going to be bearing down on you. It's just a very different environment to try and play in. And until they can prove that they're able to do it, I'm just skeptical of that fact. And I keep coming back to that mangled offensive line combination. We don't know what it's going to be. Four out of the five linemen on the depth chart this week are listed as one or the other. They don't have a definite starter, and it looks like there may be another mix-up from what we've seen the first three games. And we know Clemson, they love to do the stunts and the twists, and they're going to send weird pressure from a certain side. And when you can't even hear yourself think, let alone Jordan Travis trying to communicate with you, and you know if you're a left guard, uh, the left tackle that you've never played next to before, that's going to be a problem to me. That's that's what stands out the most about this ball game. Jordan Travis, if and I still think he is a Heisman contender. I know the last two weeks haven't been like what's going to be on his Heisman resume, uh, but the LSU game for sure would be. Granted, would, he only played two and a half quarters against against Southern Miss. Southern Miss, but when he did play, he didn't look amazing. Um, I think Jordan Travis. We know he has a deep bag. He needs to go deep into it in this game against Clemson. He needs to use his legs. Uh, he he needs to come out with a couple of explosive plays. I know we want to protect him. We want to keep him in bubble wrap. We all uh, were very nervous when he went down against Boston College. Uh, but this is the type of game where you just need to leave it all out on the field. I think Florida State does have those difference makers between Jared Verse, who didn't do much against Boston College, Jordan Travis, Keon Coleman, Johnny uh, Johnny Wilson. Um, Clemson's got some athletes too, uh, but those will be the difference makers for Florida State and help them get over the edge if they show up and are ready to make those big plays. I'm curious what it's going to take for the Clemson offense because Will Shipley, like I said, has absolutely dominated Florida State over his career. You add in his 70-yard kick return last year's game, Will Shipley had almost 250 total yards rushing, receiving, and obviously returning. He's going to be... Not a big bad man, but a little bad man, I guess you could say, on the field on Saturday afternoon. I don't know if they've got the guys out wide, but last year, this defense gave up 34 points to Clemson. In 2021, 
They gave up 24 points. So it just shows you how Adam Fuller's defense matches up. I expect coverage busts like we saw last week against Boston College. Do the Tigers have the guys to take advantage of that? And can Cade Klubnick stand in the pocket and make those throws? I think that's what it really takes for Clemson uh, to play a good ball game. And also, Dabo Sweeney, he loves his middle eight. His last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half, they had a plus 17 margin in the middle eight in last year's game. They do it really well, and that's something that concerns me as well because when Florida State goes into those lulls and it looks like they're kind of falling asleep at the wheel a little bit, all of a sudden you got a couple of touchdowns knocked on you and you're on the road. You know, maybe the crowd has a chance uh, deep into that ball game to uh, wake up a little bit. They get into it. It's just nothing like this team has seen before. You know, obviously it's going to be a tough road test for Florida State. Obviously, they're going to have to fight through some adversity. Obviously, I think Clemson will have some big plays. Obviously, I think Clemson will have, I think they'll have the lead at some point. We saw we saw Florida State go into the halftime or go into halftime, excuse me, in Orlando against LSU without the lead. I want to re- reiterate what Jack said. Florida State was horrible in the fourth quarter against BC. I don't see that happening here. I think they take advantage. I think they they really make up for their errors in 2021 when they couldn't close. They had the lead in the fourth quarter against Clemson. Remember Jermaine Johnson had that that strip sack scoop and score. I think Florida State gets it done, and I'm going to go with a score of 35-27. to And you, Jackson, would be the man to listen to. I, I went back and listened to last year's show just to get a vibe of what we were talking about. You had basically the exact final score. I think you had 34-27 Clemson, and it was 34-28. So if there's anyone that knows, it's probably you how this game is going to go. Jack and Brett, what say you? Oof. uh, I am thinking uh, Florida State 31, Clemson 24. I think Klubnik is going to come out and perform. The offense will show up. Shipley, like last year, performed. I'm going to say it again. He's going to show up. There's a lot of defensive question marks on Florida State. Still, I think you guys are talking about the pound-for-pound players that Clemson has and we have, but we have more firepower. We are the better team. Clemson's back is on the wall, like Jackson said at the beginning of the show, but their back is on the wall for a different reason than our back is on the wall. Our back is on the wall to prove that we are a top-five team, a top-three team, the best team. I think FSU wins 41-34. to It's going to be an offensive showdown, and I think we're going to silence Death Valley last minute in the fourth quarter. So it sounds like you guys are, are pretty much on the board that this Clemson defense at home isn't going to do much to phase the Knowles offense. I think, they, I think they're going to disrupt the game plan. Uh, I think Florida State has a Heisman Trophy contender in, in Jordan Travis and a future first-round pick in Keon Coleman uh, that you just can't, you can't stop all of Florida State's weapons. If you get the running backs more involved, you've got Jaheim Bell, Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman, plus Jordan Travis with his arm and his legs. We saw it against LSU. You can't stop all of those weapons. Too to, much. To round it off, I'm going to go real against the grain here. I know Florida State has won nine overall. They've scored at least 30 points or more in all nine of those ball games. If you want to take a peek into my crystal ball, I've got Clemson 27-21 in an ugly one at home. Like I said, I think the road test matters. I think the offensive line is going to be a problem against that defensive front. I think Florida State's offense gets frustrated. Maybe for the first time, they don't look perfect like they have been 
during this streak. And I also think this might be the game that, in earnest, puts Adam Fuller on the hot seat for this Florida State fan base. They had some bad games down the stretch last year. I know there was a lot of outside circumstances, but last week against Boston College, not what you want to see. And also Dabo Sweeney against that defense the last two meetings has been pretty good, and they're 2-0 and in those. So that's what I'll take. We'll be back next Monday night to discuss it, and we'll preview their upcoming game against Virginia Tech. Lots of fantastic college football games. Get yourself in front of a TV this Saturday. You don't want to miss the action that's going around the world of college football. But signing us off here on Tomahawk Talk for myself, William Haynes, our co-host Jackson Bakich, Jack Arducer, Brett Rutherford saying so long. Our producer, Jack Oliaro, by the way, his prediction, he's got an inverse of last year, 35-28, Florida State winning that ball game. But new releases coming up next with Danny. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee the voice of Florida State.